Well, today, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this series that we've been in for about eight weeks, and we're going to take a very high-level view of the first and second books of Corinthians. And we're going to take a look at what, uh, uh, take a look at the fact that love rejoices in the truth. Jesus always knew the right thing to do. Sometimes Jesus avoided conflict. Sometimes he resolved conflict. Sometimes he provoked it. In your life, all three of those responses are appropriate. Sometimes you avoid conflict. Sometimes you resolve conflict. Sometimes you create conflict. Most people have a misunderstanding that keeping the peace means avoiding conflict at any cost. It means hiding your feelings, repressing the truth, pretending that everything is okay. But the Bible says what that does is it just creates more turmoil. Take a look at this verse out of Proverbs 10.10. Someone who holds back the truth will cause trouble, but the one who openly confronts works for peace. Now, in theory, we all believe that honesty is the best policy. But in practice, it's different, isn't it? For instance, if I told my dad what I really thought, he might kick me out of the house. If I told my husband how I really feel about our marriage, he might blow up. If I told my girlfriend that I really don't like her perfume and the clothes that she wears, she might leave me. If I told my wife, about what I think in regards to our sex life, she would accuse me of a one-track mind. Love is not always easy, is it? It's not always fun. Sometimes, you know what? It takes courage to love. Uh, Sometimes love includes confronting. In this series, we have looked at Seven other expressions out of 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Today, I want to take you to graduate school level of loving. I want to move you from grade school loving all the way up to graduate school loving. Because Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, says this, love rejoices with the truth. In Ephesians 4, 15, he said it like this, speak the truth in the spirit of love. And so what we're going to do at a very high level is we're going to take a look at the book of Corinthians and how Paul applies this principle. We're going to take a look at at, at acquiring the skills of how to confront someone biblically, okay, a person that you love. If you want to truly love everybody and always, sometimes you have to say the tough things, Now, fortunately, we've got a great model. We've got a great model in Jesus, and we also have a great model in the Apostle Paul. Like I said, Paul demonstrates this attribute of love to the uh, uh, Corinthians, okay? It's a church that he started, and this church has all kinds of problems, okay? Uh, There's a person sleeping with their mom, okay? Uh, They're having drunken parties at church. Uh, There's conflict going on about the different gifts. As you go through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, I'm telling you, it's just chock full of just tough situations. But Paul 
dealt honestly and brutally with one with every issue, but he did it in love. And from the, those two corrective epistles, Paul gives us four keys to speaking the truth in love. And the first one is simply this. Before you confront someone in your relational world, you must check your motives. You have to make sure your motives are pure. And the way that you do this is you begin asking yourself questions like, why do I need to talk to this person about this? Why do I want to confront this person with truth? And we have to be honest with ourselves that maybe the reason why we want to do this is because we have impure motives. Maybe we're doing it out of jealousy. Or maybe we're doing it because we're frustrated or we're irritated or, or we're angry or that we just want to look better. One of the biggest motivations that's often overlooked is that we often criticize weaknesses in other people that we ourselves struggle with. Maybe we struggle with, with pride. And boy, I tell you what, we are quick to spot someone who has a big ego and bam, we let them have it. Or maybe we struggle with gossip, okay? And, and when we see someone gossiping, bam, we let them have it. This is why Jesus spoke out of Matthew 7 about this. Take a look. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own? First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then perhaps you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Well, that's great advice, isn't it? Before you confront someone, make sure you're not doing it yourself. Make sure that you're not doing the same thing. What he's not saying here is that you have to be perfect to point something out in a relationship. Folks, if that were true, none of us would be able to point out anything in any of our lives. That would be absolutely silly. But Pastor George, doesn't the Bible say, judge not so that you're not judged? Yeah, it does. But when he says that, he's not saying ignore problems that are in your life in this relationship. He, he's not saying tolerate sin that's in your relationship. He's, he's not saying put your mind on the shelf and just ignore everything that's going on. Don't make any observations or take any corrections. He's not saying let, let evil exist. What he is saying is this, don't be a hypocrite by condemning people in the very thing that you yourself are doing. And so you check your motives, which raises the question, what is the right motive? Well, it's simply this, to help and not hurt. The reason that you and I would confront and talk with someone about some area in their life is to help and not hurt. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We tell you this as Christ's servants, and everything that we do, dear friends, is for your benefit. In essence, Paul's saying here, you know what, I don't do this because I get my kicks out of it. Have you ever met someone who just gets their kicks out of confronting people? I mean, they are like sandpaper. You get around them, they're going to rub you the wrong way, and they're going to tell you everything that's on your mind. You know what, I, ha I have an opinion about that. Can I share it? Well, I'm going to. They're sick, okay? They are sick. Anyone who gets their jollies about confronting, oh, I really like to confront people, okay, are sick. Paul's saying here, you know what? I don't get my kicks out of doing this, but I'm sharing this for your benefit, for your good. Now, 
The question, though, is this. Who do you do this with? Take a look at what Solomon says out of Proverbs 27, verse 6. Wounds made by a friend, will you circle friend, are intended to help. Before you go and talk with someone, you got to ask yourself the question, where am I at in relationship to this person? The answer to the, the question of who you do this with are those that you care about. Those that you have a relationship with. You are not to be the policeman of the world. However, if you have proven that you love this person, then you have the right to point out whatever is going on in their life. If you do not have a relationship with this person, then you avoid them. If there is a... I don't know, a clerk behind the register at the grocery store and he's being a real you-know-what with the bagger, if you don't have a relationship with that clerk, you don't say anything. You avoid it. Now, I would say this, that if you never confront anyone, guess what? You're never gonna be close with anyone because closeness and confrontation go together. In life, there are two types of relationships. There are shallow relationships, and there are uh, um, uh, significant, meaningful relationships. There are uh, superficial relationships, and there are deep soul-to-soul relationships. How do you go from just shallow to meaningful? How do you go from superficial to deep soul-to-soul relationships? How do you go from one side in the relationship to the other side? It's as you go through the tunnel of chaos. And the tunnel of chaos is a tunnel of telling the truth. It is where you deal with all the issues that are going on in that relationship that you really don't want to deal with that are not fun. Now, I would suggest, or I would say this, I would want you to know this, that if you choose to go from one side of the the tunnel to the next side, if you choose to go from a superficial to a more significant relationship, please understand this, that it's going to be dark, it's gonna be scary, and it's gonna be painful. And there are gonna be things that your body is going to tell you, like, let's just go back. This is too difficult. It was much easier just being superficial. But if you stay in the tunnel of chaos by continuing to tell truth, you will eventually get on the other side and experience genuine intimacy. But you only confront people that you want to be close with. So the first step If you want to move from grade school loving to graduate school loving, you've got to check your motives. Now, after you've checked your motives, then Paul would tell us in the book of Corinthians that you've got to go to the second thing, which is this. You've got to plan your presentation. You've got to think through what you're going to say before you say it. Now let's take a look at what Solomon has to say about this first. Uh, Proverbs 16, 23. Intelligent people think before they speak. What they say then is more persuasive. If you want to be persuasive, you must think before you say it. Paul did this. He did this with the Corinthians. And remember, he had some tough issues, okay? I mean, really, really tough issues here. Notice 
how he does this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4. I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. You see, what Paul's doing here is this. You know what? I've, I've really thought about this. And what I've written you hasn't come from a reaction. I'm not writing you impulsively here. I'm not sitting down in front of my computer and ripping off an email because you just ticked me off, okay? Have you ever vented quickly from an email? Have you ever vented quickly on social media? And then as soon as you hit send, you're trying to grab it back, okay? Paul said, I didn't do that. I thought about it. I agonized over it. I, I, I shed tears over it. I wept over it. Now, when you plan to confront someone in love who is dysfunctionally going down a path that isn't good, you need to plan three things. You need to plan the when, the what, and the how. Take a look at Proverbs 25, verse 12. A wise friend's timely reprimand is like a gold ring slipped on your finger. If you are wise, it will be a timely reprimand. And guess what? It'll be a beautiful thing. When you have a tough issue, folks, timing is everything. And the timing is built around them. You don't bring up things when they're maybe tired or under stress or in a hurry. You may be ready to get it off your chest, but guess what? They may not be ready. Columbia University did a study. They did a study to find out when people argue the most. And you know what they found? Is that most arguments happen just before dinner. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you're at the end of your workday, you're tired. You probably got stuck on the toll road, okay, paying four bucks to get home and a parking lot right? And so you're stressed out by that. Uh, you get home, you're hungry, your blood sugar is at its lowest. You are not in your peak condition. You know what the second time was? Walking out the door to go to work. Honey, there's something I want to tell you. It's been on my mind and heart. Oh boy, going to have a great day today, okay? First one though is at the end of our day. You got to think through the best timing for them. Secondly, you plan what to say. Look at Proverbs 25, 11. The right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. Will you circle right word? If you're going to plan what you're going to say to this person who's going in the wrong direction, you want to plan two things. You want to plan introductions and you want to plan illustrations. Introductions are very important Okay, how you introduce a touchy subject matter will determine whether it is accepted or whether it's rejected. Let me give you an example. Let's just say the house is messy, okay, and you're going to talk with the person about a messy house. I would not say it this way. You know what? The cockroaches are begging for raid. I would not do it that way. I wouldn't start out by saying, you know, the house looks like a pigsty. When are you going to pick this up? I would not do it that way, okay? Sarcasm doesn't work. You need to think through how you're going to broach the subject. After you've done that, 
you need to build in illustrations, okay? And a good book that talks about this, though it's an older book, it's still a classic in my mind, is a book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. And this is a good book because it helps us to understand that we all hear things differently, do we not? And so we need to choose illustrations that they can relate to. Thirdly, you want to plan how to say it. Proverbs 12, verse 18. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword. Wisely spoken words can heal. If you say it thoughtlessly, you can pretty much guarantee that it is going to wound. But if you give some thought to it, you have the possibility of bringing healing into that person and into that relationship. Now, there are three ways to say things if you want your message to get through to this person that you love. The first way is this, you gotta say it tactfully. Take a look at Proverbs 16, 21. A wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. Do you wanna be persuasive? When you go to someone and you really wanna talk kind of an issue at, you wanna be persuasive? I think most of us do. Then. Don't be abrasive. If you say it offensively, they're going to receive it defensively. You say it pleasantly, and you say it tactfully. Secondly, you say it lovingly. Paul, like I said, had some tough things to share. How would you like to confront someone who's sleeping with their mother? Hello, okay, I'm backing off of that one, okay? How would you like to approach someone who's drunker than a skunk at church, Doing communion time, okay? Not, not, a, not a pleasant thing, okay? Paul had to share some tough things, but folks, he did it lovingly. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 13. I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. He was speaking in love. And he was speaking in love plainly meaning he wasn't doing it anonymously. He wasn't beating around the bush, and he was doing it as much as he could face-to-face, okay? He did it plainly. In other words, he wasn't doing it anonymously. I would have you know that I get cards, and if the card isn't signed, I don't read it. I, I really don't. If I get a letter, I look, is someone addressed it there? Or I open it up, do they identify themselves in the front? Do they identify themselves in the back? I don't read it. Why? Because Paul says, what I do when I communicate, I communicate plainly. I communicate openly. You never confront anybody anonymously. That is being a coward. You do it out of love. And so you say it in a loving way. The third way is you say it gently. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Paul said this in Galatians 6.1. If someone is trapped in sin, you should gently lead that person back to the right path. Will you circle the word gently? Part of what gentle means is doing it humbly. So possibly as you are setting it up, you're saying, you know what? I may be totally wrong, but... I may not know all the facts, but you set it up by being gentle and by being humble. And if you do that, then it is a greater likelihood that it will be received humbly. 
Now, will you write this down? Truth plus tact plus timing equals transformation. If you want your relationship to be transformed, if you want that person to be transformed, folks, it takes more than truth. It takes more than beating them over the head with the Bible. In fact, I would suggest never use the Bible as truth, okay? It gives God a bad name, okay? But it takes more than truth. It takes truth plus tact plus timing to transform a relationship and to transform a person. Notice what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 4, 14. I'm writing you these things not to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Do you hear the love and the compassion in that? He's saying, you know what? I know this is going to hurt. I know you don't want to hear this. But I'm sharing it as kindly and as gently and as humbly as I can because I care for you. You check the motives. You plan your presentation. Number three, the third thing that you and I see, 40,000 foot level in the book, in the first and second Corinthians is this, you give them affirmation. Now this is important because any strong relationship is built on two legs. It is built on confronting in truth, but it is also built in affirming in love. If you want a relationship with a person, you must have both of those. If all you have is one, if all you do is confront in truth and you don't affirm in love, or if all you do is affirm in love and you never confront in truth, you're not gonna have a very good relationship. To have a strong relationship, you have to have both. Now, the Bible's pretty clear that with truth comes freedom. John 8, 32. When you know the truth, the truth will what? It'll set you free. When you go through the tunnel of chaos, truth-telling, I want to let you know this, it will free you to go to a deeper level of intimacy, guaranteed. But first, it will make you miserable. It will make you miserable. If I came to you right way, everything, and said, hey, there's an area I want to bring out in your life, and here it is, you're probably going to be resentful. When you share the truth, it first hurts. To bring healing, though, oftentimes you have to hurt. We understand that physically, do we not? Folks, I, I've gone to more hospital visits than I want. And lately, I, I went to see someone who had open or had bypass, open heart surgery, okay? They had to break open his chest. I get there, he says, George, my heart's healed, but man, I'm hurting on the outside. It makes sense, doesn't it? Sometimes we have, sometimes truth hurts. And so, and because it does, it must be couched with affirmation. Take a look at Proverbs 12, verse 25. A word of encouragement does wonders. When you're going to speak the truth in love, you've got to affirm three things. You've got to affirm, you've got to affirm that you love them deeply and that you care. You've got to affirm that you're going to pray for them and that you want to help them change. And you've got to affirm that they can change and that the relationship can get better. You need to affirm those three things. 
And you need to do it at the beginning of the, the conversation and you need to do it at the end of the conversation. This is what we see the Apostle Paul doing. He does it at the beginning and he does it at the end. 1 Corinthians, the very first chapter in the very first book, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, he says this, I always thank God for you. And then at the end of the book, 1 Corinthians 16, which by the way, you see Paul identifying himself with this letter. He says, hey, I'm the one that wrote it, okay? But he says this at the end, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, as you go through the book and as you study the book, you find that he not only starts and ends with it, but folks, he really does it throughout the whole book. Now, may I suggest something in regards to affirmation? Never use the word but. Because if you use the word but, I can pretty much guarantee you this, that they're gonna tune out whatever you said before and whatever they've said afterwards. I think you're a great person, but. I think we've got this great relationship, but. I think we've got this good marriage, but. When you use the word but, people tune out. I would suggest that you use the word and. You are a great person, and I want to see you be better. We've got a great relationship, and there's something I think we can do to make it even better. God's using you in this marvelous, awesome way, and I think there's an area that you might want to give attention to. You use the word and and not but. Paul did this. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. I have great confidence in you, and, will you circle and? I have lots of reasons to be proud of you. Paul not only confirmed, uh, affirmed at the, the beginning, at the end, but folks, he affirmed all the way, uh, all throughout his letters to the Corinthian church. And so I say this, if you want to move from grade school loving to graduate level loving, you have to be both realistic and optimistic at the same time. You have, to be, you have to point out the good and what needs to be and what needs attention. Now, speaking the truth in love in this way, in these ways, takes practice. Cheryl and I have been doing it for 42 years. 43 come August, okay? And we would still say we are at the amateur level. And we would also say this. However you do it with people, sometimes it doesn't work. It doesn't. Sometimes people aren't going to listen. Though you've said it the right way, though you've done it in the right manner, they're just not going to listen to it. Now, that gets us to the fourth level, and I'm talking about graduate school level loving that you and I need if you want to get there, and that is this. You must re risk rejection. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. I know I have distressed you greatly with my letter. And although I felt awful at the time, I don't feel bad now that I see how it's turned out. 
The letter upset you, but only for a while, and you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, and that's what I was hoping for in the first place. And then, or first place, when I wrote the letter. Folks, it's scary to speak the truth in love, to rejoice in the truth. And the reason why it is so scary, the reason why we stuff our emotions, that we don't speak the truth, that we hide uh, issues, is because oftentimes we fear the consequences of of what might happen. And we allow the possible consequences uh, of, of what might happen to squelch our love. Now, like I said, truth, telling the truth is scary because you don't know what's going to happen. They might get mad. They might get sad. They might walk out. They might attack you. You don't know. But when you and I allow the fear of the possible consequences to be greater than the love that we have, do you know what happens in a relationship? It becomes stagnant. It becomes superficial. And though we long for something more deep, it holds us back. Cheryl and I were pros at this. For the first four or five years of our life, man, we shoveled everything under the rug, okay? There were pink elephants in the room that everyone else saw, but we were just walking around them, okay? It wasn't until the pain of the consequences of what we were seeing were going to come that caused us to start loving one another in a biblical way and speaking the truth. You see, some of us have not felt loving towards that significant other, maybe for weeks or months or for years. Why? Could it be that you've been stuffing your feelings and stuffing your, your, the truth because of the consequences or the possible consequences? When you do that and don't deal with it, you kill the relationship. You see, my question is this. Who do you need to talk to? As we wrap up this series, eight weeks, taking a look at the eighth expression, eight expressions of love, who do you need to talk with honestly? Who do you need to speak the truth with in love? Neighbor? Coworker? One of your teenagers? Someone in your small group? You see, the question is this. Will you care enough to speak the truth in love. Let me ask it, let me ask this a different way. What excuses have you been giving to procrastinate bringing up the issue? Well, I just don't want things to get worse, Pastor George. I just don't want to be judgmental. Well, I just don't know what to say. Well, it's really, it's none of my business. You see, love demands that sometimes you say, you know what, things aren't working. We need to have a conversation. Will you care enough to confront? Our memory verse for this week, and I would encourage you to memorize, this is Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is the sign of a true friendship. 
You see, friends speak the truth to one another. And the hope is this. Proverbs 28, 23. In the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. Will you circle in the end? Doesn't start out that way, but in the end, you get through the tunnel of chaos and there's intimacy, genuine, heartfelt, soul-to-soul intimacy. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the journey that we've been on these last, I don't know, eight weeks, God, and, and just understanding what really love is. That it's not a feeling, though it creates feelings, that it's an action, that it is something that you do. And I thank you that you have given us examples through yourself and through the Apostle Paul of just how we can love one another. And God, may we be those who are transformed by your love, by your Holy Spirit that has, that resides within us, that illuminates our eyes to the relationship that we have with you, that unconditional love that you have with us that we have not earned, but the fact, but, but also the fact that you've given us a spirit that convicts leads and guides us, that prods us along because you have something more for us. God, that's what we want. We don't want to be those who just talk about love. God, we want to, we want to act it out. And we want to act it out in the, in, the, in, the, in the best way with those who are in our relational world. And so we ask you, God, as we wrap this up and, put the, and dot the I and cross the T on this thing, that you through your spirit would bring these things to our minds, that we might be the loving people that you've called us to be. God, for that to happen, we gotta trust you. We gotta trust you. We've gotta be in relationship with you and help us, God, to be that. So we give you this in your son's name. Amen.